The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts... John and Steven. Hey guys, Cabinet Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. There has been comic news, there's been real news, there's been things going on. So Steven and I are here to talk about it. We did a Zoom call, and let's get right to it. So last week was kind of a return to form. We actually had comic book news to talk about. Yeah. And now there's some more comic book news. Of course, this all happens in the backdrop of everything else that's going on. Um, yesterday was Juneteenth, which uh, I thought went really, really well. They were Surprising. first of all, it was peaceful. Yeah. Um, but my company closed at noon and said from now on it's going to be a company holiday. Yeah, I've heard a lot of like banks and stuff are closing. Uh, you know it, that it's, you know, part of this like corporate stuff. All these corporations come out for like Black Lives Matter and things like this. It's kind of like. Where where were you guys like four years ago or whatever? Well, they're they're you only know, get, like they're behind they're, the curve. And they're always, think, but they're always going to be behind the curve deliberately because they're only going to do it when it's safe. They're gonna, right, they're gonna and now do, it's kind of, you right. Know. They're not. They're going to take a stand when not taking a stand is taking a stand. Right. So they're like, taking a stand when it's like politically savvy to do so. Yes, uh, and which the, is fine because and I guess the backlash room. The backlash on not taking a stand would be more severe. Right. I mean, I don't know if we talked about this as like the NFL coming out and being like, we were wrong about Colin Kaepernick. And it's like, like, yeah, but this, you guys still didn't hire this guy. (laughs) He's like, he's still out of work. Well, it's like John Bolton published his book, his his book is coming out this week. And he's like, here's all more thing, bad things Trump was doing. It was like, oh, like during the impeachment, when you you declined to testify because you're going to sell this fucking book. Well, he, he's the guy that rammed the Iraq war through. People have forgotten that. He was yeah. in charge of finding the weapons of mass destruction. And after about two or three months, he was like, nah, let's just bomb them. Yeah, he's and we're like, did you find anything? He's like, let's bomb them. And of course, we didn't find anything. So he's not a guy to be trusted. No, fuck that guy. Fuck well, his book. Yeah, so it's nice that um, companies are taking a stand. People are kind of appreciating this. I feel like, uh, honestly, three years ago, I didn't, I didn't hear about Juneteenth. Yeah, I, I gotta be honest, that. I had no idea. I think I've heard Juneteenth, like the word before, but I had no idea what it was. And then even to find out then, okay, so it's when, it's not even when the slaves were free. Oh no, that's it's my favorite crazy. thing about it. It's, it's when troops from the Union Army made it into Texas two years after Lincoln freed the slaves and told everybody like, hey, y'all aren't slaves anymore. It, it was when the last racist white people gave up. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it was like, what was it? Like two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. I think so, yeah. It's insane. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we had, so we don't celebrate the day the slaves were freed, but we will celebrate the day the racists give up, which I think means so much. And Trump had to move his rally, which... Uh, which, because he didn't want to start a race war in this country. Yes, he did. <laughs> uh, Jesus. 
And so that's today. We're filming or we're recording. That's today. today. And so far, what I've seen is footage of lots of fat white people bottlenecked into the gates with no masks on. Yeah. Uh, Aside from the uh, forthcoming outbreak in Tulsa in terms of coronavirus. They should be allowed to, to, they should be forced to live in Oklahoma for the next two weeks. And then the people that are asymptomatic after that should be let out. Because otherwise, otherwise we got them penned in. Let's just quarantine Tulsa. Yeah. And if you live in in Tulsa, I'm sure, just find a place to go. (laughs) Just get in the car. It's going to be... Rough, because a lot of these people are from out of state. They're saying so. They're yeah. Don't let them back. States. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. But who knows what's going to happen tonight? This guy is going to, you know, uh, especially after the last time I saw him, um, he gave that speech at West Point when he made all those military graduates go oh. back, and yeah. he was like, could <laughs> was like double fisting a yes. glass of water. Well, that's drink. my favorite thing. They were complaining about that because he made all the West Point students come back they were all they were all e-learning they were all at home right and he forced them all to come back to listen to his speech and no one talked about his speech everyone talked about that he couldn't drink a glass of water or walk down a ramp like it totally blew up in his face so we'll see what happens from this i mean i I feel like crazy no i mean there's there's always you know there's always a rogue actor who will just who will run around with a shotgun but for the most part these people aren't mobilized. They're, that's the whole point of them. They don't want to be mobilized. They don't want to do anything different. And Trump tells them that they're perfect and they don't have to change and everyone else is wrong. Yeah. So, they're, so they're not the most motivated. Well, we'll see. I saw a piece by Michael Moore scaring everybody. And, that was like, and I thought, this is why I gave up on Michael Moore. Because he scares everybody and then leaves. Yeah, he's like the West Craven of politics. Yeah, he's got like a. He started a podcast back when coronavirus, I think, started called Rumble. I think so. I listened to a couple episodes yeah. and then gave up, and then came back and listened to a couple more. It's like it's like some stuff is good with him, but then a lot of that stuff is kind of just like. Uh... Well, I think it was Fahrenheit nine eleven where I gave up because I was like, I I went to the theater. We all went to the theater and watched it. And I was like, all right, where are your answers? And he doesn't have any. Like, he's, he's a fear monger that's on our side. He's like, he's our Tucker Carlson right now. Yeah. That's another favorite thing of mine. And I don't care. Uh, I no longer am saying we're not a political show because there's just too much shit. Uh, like, like corporate America, not talking about this would be taking a stand. Yeah. But I've noticed with Fox News... Uh, I, I'm taking this as a positive sign and I'm not the most positive person, but I'm looking for positive signs. That's good. That's his growth for you. Fox news says something horrible every three days. That's their MO, but I'm noticing it's a different person. It was mm-hmm. like, like I'm not hearing it. The more I hear about Tucker Carlson means the less I'm hearing about Sean Hannity. Yeah. They're or all uh, terrible, you know? Well, that and just shows me that like there's a pecking order, like O'Reilly got taken out. And I think they just like the highest guy just keep, they keep knocking them out. And my hopes of Fox news are never going to happen. My hopes were Disney was going to buy them to shut them down. Yeah. And just we be like that kind of world. No, I, I just felt like it was in their monetary interest to go, Hey, uh, Fox news is now a 24 hour star Wars network. Right. <laughs> Cause that's what people really want to spend their money on is more star Wars. Yeah. So one thing we can all agree on, 
Yeah, is that we don't like Star Wars, <laughs> except right. for The Mandalorian. <laughs> I tried watching Rise of Skywalker again last night. Didn't finish it. Yeah, yeah. Very little interest in going back to um, any of those new uh, trilogies, uh, the new ones. I just I don't care for them at all. I, I enjoyed all of them well enough the first time I saw them. And then every time I go back, each one of them is just a little bit of a slog. But Rise of Skywalker is Star Trek Into Darkness. I think I was talking about this on the show with Mike Drucker. It's like, JJ, you don't give JJ a sequel. That's the lesson you learn. He did, like, Star Trek is fantastic. Yeah, that it's, first movie is what, uh, what, probably one of my favorite movies. Yeah, and you're not even a Trekkie. No. Uh, uh, although, we're working our way through Next Gen. <laughs> yeah, we are. Um, but then Star Trek Into Darkness is awful. And, and both Star Trek Into Darkness and Rise of Skywalker was like, J.J. Abrams packed that first movie with every single idea he had about that franchise. And it was amazing. And then he came back to do another one and he's like, oh, what are you guys like? And yeah, he's definitely, um, he's a great starter. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, um, he, whether it's lack of ideas or he doesn't know how to continue his story after he gets it going, I don't know, but he's... Um, I mean, he created Lost. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, that's a talk prime about example. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, that show is incredible when it started, and then it just went right off the fucking rails. Yeah. Yeah, I tried, I had the complete Blu-ray box set, and I sold the Tap Price books, and they gave me 10 bucks. Yeah. And it was like the $100 limited edition set, and I'm like... Yeah, no one I, cares. <laughs> yeah, I said, why is it only 10 bucks? They, and they basically looked at me and was like... Yeah, everybody knows where this show goes. They pointed to a shelf behind them that had 12 other versions of it. <laughs> of every season? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but that's, I think that's enough politics for now. Um, did you see the Dave Chappelle special on YouTube? 846? Did, yeah. Um, it's, he's like the voice of a generation, man. He's a wise man. He wanders the earth like Kane in Kung Fu. Yeah. He's just he, like, he just showed up in a park, I believe, in Ohio. Yeah, and like people, people are just sitting on the lawn wearing masks. He's like, "All right, we're going to start talking about stuff." Yeah, um, I know I've told the show on this on the podcast before, but I saw uh, Dave Chappelle live three times, and none of them were planned. I just happened to be in places where Thank Dave Chappelle up. showed up and started doing stand up. And by the way, only one of those places was a comedy club. That's wild. One was a student lounge was in it Brooklyn people? College. Yeah, all in New York. Oh, no, when I was at Brooklyn College, he just walked into the student lounge yeah. and started up. And this was in 91, so he was a struggling comic. One was in the park, <laughs> in like Washington Square Park. That's wild. And then one was a night where um, all of my comic friends um, were, who all moved on to pretty good things. Like Mike Trucker was there. My friend Ed Murray, who now is a writer for Nintendo. Um, I've asked him to come on because he's really funny, but he's like, I got so many NDAs. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing, he, there's nothing like, he can talk about. I visited the Nintendo offices in Seattle one year and visited him and he showed me his desk and stuff. And then there was just a big door in the room and he goes, yeah, that's the door. We don't let anybody in. And then we left. Wow. So <laughs> Nintendo keeps things quiet, but we had all gone to the comedy cellar one night to see, um, just to watch the show all night. And then there were great comedians. It was like, um, Jim Norton was there and, uh, uh, Maria Franklin and Jessica Kearson and Jim Florentine. It was a great night. And at the uh, Artie Fuqua, at the end, uh, David Tell showed up. At the end of the night, Chappelle showed up. It was like one in the morning and he did 90 minutes. That's so, great. so 
I my vision of Chappelle is just that he just appears. Yeah, he's like a magical. He's like, he's like a bard. Yeah, you know that documentary about Bill Murray? Mm. Where like Bill Murray just shows up at parties and starts bartending or yeah. he'll show up at your wedding. That's been my experience with Dave Chappelle. Yeah. <laughs> just just sometimes Dave Chappelle shows up and that's what that special was like. And it was great. But I think uh, it's a good time to talk about comic books, I think. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of, the, uh, did you see the trailer for uh, Spider-Man, Miles Morales? Yes, I did. Um, which I was, I was both excited and disappointed. Yeah. And then, and then they kind of couched it and said, this is a side game. It's not the sequel. And oh, I don't really? know. Yeah, and I don't know what that means. I mean, I think it's shorter. I think it's like Arkham Origins where um, there's, they're, not, they're not doing anything new to push the technology. It's like, we'll use a Spider-Man engine and do this, but we'll tell a mile story. And I think the mm. game is not 10 hours long like Spider-Man was. Yeah. Because I really thought Spider-Man 1 leaves you thinking that Spider-Man 2 is Venom and the Green Goblin. Right. Yeah. I mean, the ending for that game, you know, directly alludes to it. I, I was uh, not as excited. It looks great. It you know, does look great. Yeah. But it's, but it's the same game. So it's like, I'm happy to get more of the same. It just mm-hmm. sucks that it's like buy this $600 console <laughs> to play yeah. the same game with new content. Well, my PlayStation's on its last legs anyway. So oh. we, we were really hoping PS5 was coming out last Christmas. Because oh. now, like, we're at the point where we have controllers that die every 15 minutes, that yeah. it, buttons have fallen off. I actually opened the PS4 a couple weeks ago because that was a quarantine project and cleaned the dust out. Yeah. Because it would just start screaming after 20 minutes. And quarantine has not been kind to PlayStation because I got two boys that are video game age now. And they just want to run it into right. the freaking ground. Yeah. So either way, I was buying a PS5. Yeah, I think it's like I always like hope these things will be three hundred dollars or something. But maybe maybe the government will send us another stimulus check right before it comes. Yeah, maybe Sony will send us a stimulus check. Yeah, we'll just I think it just send us a PS4. Yeah, I'll put that instead. Yeah, um, I think it looks good. I think it's really smart. Of course, this being the climate, immediately people were like, "This is racist." Where's Peter Parker? And I was like, "Dude, Miles was in the entire first game." Uh, Not by that, it's like after the Into the Spider-Verse came out, I yeah. think it came out after Spider-Man, what did they think the next game was going to be about? That was like the biggest Spider-Man right. movie they've ever made. Yeah, it, I, I'm pretty sure, sh- well, it won the Oscar. Um, money-wise, right. money-wise, did it make more than like the MCU Spider-Mans? I think it was up there. I mean, it's up there, but I think it's like, as in terms of like... Uh, Impact, you know, I think the bigger impact goes to the first Spider-Man movie because I think that kind of well, gave the, us the modern superhero movie. Yeah, the Sam, Ra- think, the Sam Raimi, Willem Dafoe, Tobey Maguire, yes. Yeah, and then I think the this one is probably the next biggest impactful because it's just like, Miles Morales is like a household name now, you know? Yeah, well, and that movie, I watched it again a couple weeks ago and that movie just, just works. Everything about it yeah. It's just, and there's no, there's no movie that looks like that movie. No, that no. It's just like it's visually its own. It's speaking its own language. Well, I remember uh, I went to. We talked about it at the time. I went to a preview. They had like a preview in some AMC's a week before, and I came out of there and I was just telling all my designer friends, all my art director friends, I'm like, you have to see this. You have to see this. And a lot of them were like, uh, the guy sat next to at the time was like, 
he's like 25, really talented, great designer. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I, I can't go to a, like a Spider-Man cartoon movie. It's like, I don't have any kids. I'm like, no, you have to go yeah. to this. And then it won the Oscar. Because you're right. There, ha- there wasn't anything like it. They, they did so much in that movie that no other um, movie has done. Although, I will walk it back a little bit. I was thinking this watching it again. Since Sony produced Into the Spider-Verse, it's a crime that the animated, there's an animated movie that really influenced it that Sony did about two or three years before. Nobody saw it, and it's a crime because it's fantastic. And that was the Peanuts movie. A lot of the techniques they used in Spider-Verse of kind of translating comics to film of kind of giving it that flat look. They do that in Peanuts. And I thought that movie was amazing. And that was about, I guess, like five years ago now. Yeah, probably a little longer than two. And it didn't do well. And I I was stunned because it didn't look like any of the holiday specials that we grew up with. It looked like the comic strip. Yeah. And that's what was so incredible. Like, they used the the keyframes were all like the two views that Charles Schultz would always draw them. Like the sequences where um, Snoopy's fighting the Red Baron, they said in the commentary, you never see the bottom of the doghouse because it's all still within his mind. And the way Charles Uh-oh. Schultz drew it, he never drew the doghouse when it was, and they would go to like black and white line drawings every now and then to, sh- to show like the daily strip as opposed to the Sunday strip. There, uh, I don't know where it's streaming now and I'll look this up. If you can find it streaming for free on something, absolutely watch it because you'll see a lot of the dna of spider-verse in there yeah yeah that's cool yeah the only thing i remember about that movie is that um it wasn't nobody nobody saw it yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I went to, i didn't see it but nobody else did either i went to it thought it was great and bought it when it came out on home video i haven't seen it in a while but i yeah. was i was a big peanuts fan when i was a kid and uh i loved the specials and we had a few paperbacks about Five, six years ago, actually probably around the time the movie came out, I think it's Kitchen Sink puts out those hardcovers. Right. They're like the Marvel Masterworks of Peanuts. They have like two years. I got the, the entire lot on, in, on eBay. So I, uh, I have like all 19 volumes. So I yeah, have- they did a lot of them. We used to carry them at the store. And uh, I mean, they're beautiful books. I mean, that guy was like a comic genius, you know. Never used an assistant. He drew, that, he drew that book for, I think, 55 years, something like That's that, um, and never used an assistant. Yeah. Like, he just did it. Well, the, great, the thing about Peanuts, I, I, find, I always loved it, and I didn't know why. And then when I unlocked it, I realized uh, what I read more about Charles Schultz. Charles Schultz was bipolar. Yeah. And that strip is the most bipolar strip. If you sit yeah. down and read that book <laughs> sequentially, you, there's like – there's like two weeks of Snoopy being the Red Baron and Joe Cool and like all this stuff. And then there's two weeks of like Charlie Brown getting psychiatrist lessons from Lucy and lying on the ground, like missing the football. Yeah. And there's just like, Charlie Brown just says in a daily news trip paper, he's like, I think I'll go kill myself. Like every, I'm like, oh, that is the key to this. You can yeah. tell me. You could tell when Charles Schultz was manic and you could right. tell he's, he's just depressed. ping-ponging back and forth. Yes. And it had that, that's why that, that had it such a great melancholy feel to that strip. I still think it's the greatest daily comic strip that was ever produced. Yeah, I don't really know what else can compete with it. I think everything else, there's a lot of other good stuff, 
but I think yeah, that's I mean, my mind goes to my personal favorite was Bloom County, which is now a Facebook strip. Yeah, like Brooke, Brooke breathed has gone back to drawing it and just posting on Facebook because newspapers are not a thing. The Far Side is something that was like a huge impact. Dilbert was was a big thing. Yeah, um, of its day, I think it's still around, but it was really like that '90s cubicle living kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's hard to kind of ignore peanuts. It's like ignoring Superman. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like the gold standard of the genre. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. uh, when. Uh, especially considering the run and the length and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of Superman, Henry Cable is signed up for more DC movies, whatever that means. Yeah. So at, at least cameos in other movies. Um, I think that's great. Cause I think he's, uh, I think he's a really, really good Superman who hasn't made a good movie yet. He's like, he's like the Pierce Brosnan of Superman. Yeah. He's just not getting good uh, material to work with. It's, yeah. Uh, but none of the casting in any of the DC movies in the last, you know, five years or whatever, going back to man of steel has been bad. I think most of the casting's pretty on point. Like Kevin Costner is a great Pa Kent. He's just in a terrible Superman. He's just saying awful things. Right. He's like, he's a good choice for Pa Kent. He's just saying non-Pa Kent lines. That's all, you know? Yeah, I mean, DC, we we talk about DC all the time being schizophrenic. Ben Affleck was an interesting Batman. I mean, they were were obviously going for an older Dark Knight Batman. Um, And now they're going with like the kid in Twilight. So we're that just shows you how old they went with Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck's like my age. Yeah. Um, nobody was hiring me. <laughs> nobody was going to hire me for a superhero movie. I just wanted to write one though. <laughs> but still. Right. Take what you can get. Yeah. Uh, I thought he, he was an interesting choice, but certainly that's the problem. That run of movies is not good. And we're yeah, com- he wanted it. You know what I mean? It's like he's been yeah. wanting to play Batman forever. So I- He wanted to be Batman so bad that he was Daredevil. Yeah, it was a stepping stone. <laughs> yeah. Which I think a lot of the creative teams on Daredevil would agree. Yeah, I mean, look at uh, all the guys that write Daredevil and then go write Batman or vice versa. Right. You know? It's yeah. like, uh, he's not Marvel's Batman, but he's close. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, Marvel's Batman is is Spider-Man, but that's be- it's a totally different tone because Stan Lee was a funny guy. Right, yeah. So, so it was like, if you made Batman funny, you'd have Spider-Man. Right. Yeah, and it's just like a with a, a equally awesome rogues gallery and supporting. Oh cast. yeah, I I was just going through my Marvel Legends again, and I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm thinning out my collection. I'm selling a lot to like Mr. Wayne's, and there's stuff going up on eBay. I I've been uh, eBay's been my second job for like the last month or so because just I'm listing just, and shipping. Yeah, well, working at home, I'm just like I'm waiting for a conference call to start, and I just take a picture of stuff and post it. Um. But I went through my I went through my Spider Man's and I'm like nobody leaves nobody leaves <laughs> like they're doing Kingpin and Mysterio in slightly repainted outfits and I'm like yes yeah you're getting and you're getting both of them yeah I'm like this Mysterio has gold gloves yes right he looks cool yeah uh, the, I skipped the last two sets of Marvel Legends but uh, this Kingpin has an ascot yes yeah. <laughs> In fact, I took the Kingpin. My original idea was that I was going to make the Kingpin to Mal Farouk because Professor X came with that head. Right. But I put the all-white suit Kingpin in the Daredevil drawer. And then the purple oh, pants uh, would go in the Spider-Man drawer. Spider-Man I'm, like, drawer yeah. I'm like, it might just stay that way. Right. I, how much do you care about Shadow King? You know, <laughs> it's like... 
Yeah, I don't. Yeah, and it's just like Kingpin's a little built for Shadow King. You know, Kingpin's like a fighting guy. Shadow yeah. King's just like a dumpy guy with a with a fuzz hat or whatever, Fez. Right, and he's, well, and he's an astral projection, so he's like a big electricity monster half the time. Right. That's yeah. just the guy that, that's like his secret identity. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of those things that I really applaud Marvel Legends for. It's like, uh, here's a guy we'll, we're never going to make. So right, here's, this guy's like C-list. Yeah, so it's like, here's their head. Go figure it out. Like, yeah. like it was like Rogue came with a Lalandra head. because of No, Mystique came with a Lalandra head because of all the times Mystique turned into the queen of the Shi'ar Empire. Right, right, yeah. That classic story, that where, classic Mystique story. Kept, where she kept her costume and had the helmet of the Shi'ar. But then immediately within a week, people on the message board were like, hey, put this on Silver Sable. And I was like, yeah, I can buy another Silver Sable. Yeah, and give her Black Knight's cape. Yeah, Marvel Legends had a uh, surprise uh, announcement this week, um, which I completely fell for. They, had, they showed a teaser of a head, and they were like, it's coming tomorrow. And I'm like, is that Master Mold? Who is that? And so I texted you. Mm. And and you were like, that's Deadpool. And I'm like, but we have a million Deadpools. We're, they've already shown we're getting a pirate Deadpool. But what it is, is it's a $100 Deadpool head that talks to you. It's a life-size head as if someone yeah. cut off Deadpool's head and put him on your coffee table. Right. He says 600 things. Um, he's covered in fabric. He's not plastic sculpted. So. And then he, so he can move, like his jaw moves and his eyes can move. Yeah, he can do like expressions and stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like, we have an app controlled Spider-Man that's Fero. That's what I thought of, that little doll you've got that talks. Yeah, but uh, his eyes just kind of animate. This one actually moves around. And right. it's clearly like designed for Deadpool bros. Yeah, I think it's like they know their niche or whatever for this item. I'm sure it'll sell really well. Um, it's like, uh, it's... This is like the natural progression of the technology that gave us that fish that you put on a wall that talks. Yes. Remember? That's like yes. what this is. It's like that 30 years later or whatever. You know, it's just kind of like the for, for comic book nerds. Yeah. There's uh did you ever watch Last Man on Earth, the Will Forte show? No. There was one there was like a, a run where they were there was a crazy guy. They found they found like a crazy guy that that like wanted to kill them. So they so Will Forte was like creating alar an alarm system around the house, and he just made a hallway full of singing bass, and they would all sing um, uh, "Joy to the World." So yeah. like so through the episode, you just hear Three Dog Night, and he would panic every time he heard Jeremiah was a bullfrog, and there were like twenty of them going. Yeah, yeah, it was an effective system. Yeah, it was a very decent show. It's on Hulu now. It doesn't end because it's one of those shows that got canceled. Right. Yeah, apparently the Deadpool head um, was really the brainchild of Jesse Falcon. And Jesse Falcon, I have tried multiple times to get on the podcast because uh, I've known him from doing toy fairs and stuff. And I, I do talk to him. Uh, I just haven't been able to get him to pick a date. But yeah. the thing about Jesse Falcon, he's been at Toy Biz since the 90s. He worked on like the X-Men animated stuff and that weird period where the animated series were all ending 
and Marvel didn't know what to do, so they decided to be McFarlane for like yeah. it was like two years where they like everything was like crazily sculpted. Um, it's when I was at Art Asylum and we sculpted that Spider Man that kind of had his arms up and it like out to the side, so you couldn't really pose him. But he had like sculpted webs and that apocalypse that came in the Onslaught series. So it was it was all kind of chasing that McFarlane style. Jesse was working at Toy Biz then and. He was one of the guys behind Marvel Legends. And when Hasbro bought Toy Biz, uh, he stayed and he's still there. He's also a guy that comes out of the UCB. He, um, he was in improv classes with a lot of like really big comedians. And he's a funny guy in his own right. So this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. If there was like a pitch meeting and half of the meeting was like, all right, so we'll do Cyclone in the Spider-Man line and we'll do... Uh, we'll do Maggot in the X-Men line. And, and Jesse, uh, Jesse kind of stood up and was like, let's do a talking Deadpool head. Right, like a full size. Yeah, and apparently it took months to get approved and it sounds like he just kept coming in going, so, so let's talk Deadpool that? head. <laughs> That's great. So I love that it's being made. It's also at a point where uh, Hasbro's getting really good at these life-size props. Like there's a really nice Iron Man helmet. It came out. I have the Iron Man 2 helmet. Yeah. Which, you know, the visor lifts up and it talks, but it's got like really big eyes for safety. Now you can get one that's exactly the, exactly the comic version that fits on an adult's head and the faceplate pops off and it all lights up. Like there's a Captain America shield that's just Captain America's shield. Yeah. You know, I believe there's a Mjolnir. There's, a Mjolnir, there's both kinds of Infinity Gauntlets. So they can do these one-to-one things that are like, really 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 cool so yeah like they turned a corner a couple of years ago and where things just started getting a lot better and then it's like all right now they're expanding on that base is like there's a level of quality that didn't exist yeah and so star wars is doing mass market stuff star wars is doing the same thing the stormtroopers and boba fett's and darth vader helmets are just stunning right yeah because they've had that stuff kind of for like years and years right is like you're able to get it was either was like prohibitively expensive. Like I had a yeah. saved up like five paychecks when I was a teenager to buy the factory X Captain America shield. And, it's and you're like, still single. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> and it's metal and has like leather straps and everything. But that was like 450 bucks or something forever ago. Is, and that, now what, like, is that the same one Stu had? No, they, that's when they started making like plastic versions of okay, it. Um, it might've been like a aluminum or something. But yeah, our, like, our good friend Stu, who passed away this year, had a full-size Captain America shield that he would take to every single convention and have people sign it. And hopefully it's in a very safe place in his house now. Yeah, I know Matt, uh, his good buddy Matt, uh, was going through and kind of sorting a lot of that stuff. So it's uh, Matt's taking care of kind of everything. Yeah, so Matt will probably put that in a place of honor. But Stu said his dream was to get Stan Lee to sign the star. He did. And he did. Yeah, it was the, I think it actually might have been one of the last conventions Stan did in Chicago. Um, it might have been the last one he did in Chicago, but I don't think it was his last convention appearance because I think he was in Arizona or something. And uh, the, the line was insane, like it always is. And I, that dude waited in line for like five hours uh, when he got it, you know? Man, you know what? If anything was a harbinger of what 2020 would be, it was that Stu McLean died in January. Yeah, I mean, it's like it was a rough way to start the year. <laughs> it's like yeah. it hasn't, it has not uh, improved at all. No, no, not <laughs> it's only gotten worse. Not in the least. Um, 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, well, talking about other sad news, in um, it, Ian Holm passed away uh, as we were recording this yesterday at the age of 88. Um, my first thought when anybody, any celebrity dies in 2020 is, was it coronavirus? And it wasn't. Yeah. Um, I mean, 88 is a good run. It's kind of like when Fred Willard passed away last month. It was like, right. this guy was amazing. He was in his 80s. He always put in a good performance. Uh, it's sad to see him go. And immediately it was like, oh, the guy who played Bilbo in Lord of the Rings. But he was one of those actors where reminded you his bench went so deep. There are so many great films that he's a part of and that he's a major part of. Yeah. I mean, just in genre, there's the original alien. He's the robot in the original alien. He's the priest in the fifth element. He's, um, he's in the Mel Gibson version of Hamlet. He's great. He is in uh, The Big Night, which was Stanley Tucci, Indian movie in the 90s. Like, he was the kind of guy that popped up in everything. My favorite performance, and probably the first thing I ever saw him in, is Time Bandits, which... Oh, uh, yeah, with the... You showed me that movie. He's, he's Napoleon. <laughs> he's Napoleon, and he gets... Uh, Time Bandits is one of the greatest movies, and I, I know, started to notice this resurgence of people coming out and saying this is one of the greatest movies ever. But it's a very early tele- Terry Gilliam movie, and if you've never seen it, and it is... Um, it's very Python influence because like Terry Jones wrote the screenplay with him and Michael Palin and John Cleese are in it. So it's the closest thing to being another Python film without being a Python film. Right. So it has that sense of humor. But it is about um, six little people yep. that work in heaven that decide to rob history. <laughs> so they have a map of time and space and they find where all the gaps are in the time-space continuum, and they jump through those holes and rob people. So Ian Holm plays Napoleon, and they rob him. And then, like, Sean Connery plays Agamemnon, and they rob him. And uh, John Cleese plays Robin Hood in one of the best John Cleese performances ever, and they rob him. Yeah. And, uh, and David Warner basically plays the devil. <laughs> it's like... It's it's so weird. They robbed the Titanic. <laughs> yeah, it's like a movie that would never exist outside of the time period in which it was made. Yeah, and, <laughs> they'd and, never make this movie today. It's in the early '80s, which is the golden age of miniatures. So they they did a lot of special effects. It's all blue screen miniatures, but it's pre CG. Yeah, so it's like there was that weird period in the early '80s, and I used to discuss this with Trapp and Crandall, who's a stand up and an author who's been on the show before about like what created the fantasy boom of the early 80s? Because neither one of us could find the big hit. He thinks it was Star Wars, that Star Wars also started fantasy. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I agree with that because there was, Time Bandits was in there, The NeverEnding Story, Labyrinth, The Dark Crystal, um, Time Bandits is in there, Krull, Dragon Slayer, Clash of the Titans. There were all of these fantasy movies in the early 80s and they all bombed yeah every single one of those movies i told you about was a bomb i wonder if they were trying to like kickstart fantasy because of the success of star wars because star wars is like sci-fi fantasy melded together maybe i think maybe they were kind of like well what's we could do fantasy without the sci-fi element without ships and all this other crap. And they just, (laughs) they couldn't figure it out. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, that probably makes the most sense, but it still doesn't quite make sense to me. Yeah, it but feels it, like there's a missing piece. It's kind of, but it does make sense in that it's kind of like when the Tim Burton Batman movie came out and was a gigantic hit. By the way, I watched that again a couple weeks ago. I still really like that movie. The That's, first one? Yeah. I mean, that first one's great. That second it's one is a very, it's, no, I like the second one too. Both, well, movie, both movies are very flawed. And I kind of like them for their flaws. Did you read... Um, there was almost no story to the 89 Batman. Yeah, there's enough. It's, there's, it does everything you need it to do. There's a good 45 minutes of Joker doing things that have no plan whatsoever. Like he kills some gangsters, then he poisons people, then he starts trying to date Bruce Wayne's girlfriend. There's like, yeah. he's just doing stuff. Yeah, so that's how he does. Yeah. Did you read... Um, that Batman universe that um, Bendis and Derry. Yeah, I, I don't know that I finished it. It became Brave and the Bold pretty quickly, and I was just like, Yeah, I mean, I? it basically was, but the, the museum in that book, in the opening and the closing of that book, is the same museum from uh, Batman and Batman. Yeah, it's like a nice little Easter egg. Yeah, but that had a ripple effect where when Batman was a hit, I mean, everybody points to it as being like the first major blockbuster. Uh, superhero movie. Superman did really well, but Superman wasn't a gigantic hit. They like cut the budget for Superman 2. They started slashing that budget immediately. And it yeah. wasn't Star Wars level. Batman was Star Wars level. And they, they made this weird decision where instead of saying, hey, superhero sell, which is what they figured out 10 years later with Spider-Man, they were like, you know what really sells? Batman. No, no. Comic strip characters from the 40s. And oh, then all of a sudden, the Shadow and the Phantom and Dick Tracy. Yeah, and those are all great movies. They're terrible. <laughs> no, they're all they're they all, all great. They all bombed the Shadow, the Phantom. People don't appreciate art. Yeah, they all bombed. So no, I think fa fantasy was the same way, but it's a long way around to talk about Ian Holm being in Time Bandits, where he's Napoleon because Ian Holm was a, a short guy, and they. Uh, there's this whole speech he gives where he gets really drunk and he starts talking about that every world leader was under five feet tall. <laughs> He's like, Alexander the Great was four foot six. And it's just, it's one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen. And after that, I always noticed Ian Holm and things to the point where when Lord of the Rings first came out, I was like, look, they got Ian Holm to be Bilbo. Yeah. I think and that's something, you know, with Lord of the Rings, we kind of forget or, I don't know if we forget, we just don't really, it doesn't come up as much as like the cast for Lord of the Rings is incredible. There's yes. not like a weak link in that cast. That's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, I think the first thing I saw Ian Holman was the fifth element. Yeah, he's the priest in the fifth element. Yeah, and I think it wasn't, I had really seen him in a lot of other stuff. And then when he showed up in Lord of the Rings, I was like, oh yeah, there's the guy from the fifth element. He's, he's out there doing his stuff. The fifth element is insane. But, it's another great movie. But he's really funny. In it. He's in Brazil. Which, uh, going back to Terry Gilliam, that's the second Terry Gilliam he made. He plays, like, Jonathan Price's manager, who's just terrified. Um, that he's one of those guys that just always, he's in From Hell, the weird Alan Moore. Oh, yeah, he's the, uh, the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I'm just, I'm scrolling now through his IMDb because I know I've forgotten a bunch yeah. that are worth talking about. He's, he's a naked character actor. He's kind of in everything. Yeah, he's in Naked Lunch and he was a classic Shakespearean. That, like he comes out of the Royal Shakespeare Company. He's one of those guys like Ian McKellen or Patrick Stewart. Right. Where he was on the stage and then just started taking work for the money. 
but he always put in a really interesting performance. Um, we just happened to watch Alien and Aliens and noticed Ian Holm immediately popped out. And uh, Alien was interesting too because Ben had never seen it and now that he's like 13, he doesn't get scared easy. So he's like kind of pushing the horror envelope. Yeah. And we've been home for months. So it's like we're running out of things to watch. <laughs> I mean, Alien's a great choice. That first movie is still incredible. Yeah, the first and the second, the Cameron movie is amazing. Um, but you have to watch the first movie first. So we watched it and I was noticing that crew. You want to talk about casting. It's like everybody in that is a character actor. Yeah. Sigourney Weaver became a movie star, but she's not in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like as we went around, Ben's like, who's that guy? Who's that guy? And every single person I had like a great role that they played. Yeah. Like Harry Dean Stanton is in Avengers and he says, son, you got a condition. And Yafet Kodo is uh, Alonzo Mosley, FBI from Midnight Run. This is Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin go across the country. Yeah. Uh, like every single actor. Tom Skerritt was on Cheers. Uh, and it still works. He jumped so many times during Alien. And then Aliens, we both screamed so many times. Yeah. Aliens is just the... Aliens is literally the cast of Terminator because it was like Terminator was everyone that Cameron could afford. And then aliens was everyone Cameron liked and they were the same people. Did he have problems working with um, Schwarzenegger? Um, I don't think so. Uh, no, because they, I'm, because not only did they do the two sequels together, he didn't want him at first. He wanted Lance Henriksen to be the Terminator because yeah. he wanted the Terminator to be somebody who could blend in the crowd. And he, right, yeah, Arnold's like, not blending in anywhere. <laughs> yeah, the studio wanted Arnold. They were like, this is the guy who did Conan the Barbarian, which is really all he did at that point. They were like, we have a name you can put on here. Nobody knows who Lance Henderson is. He didn't want him. But not only did they do the two Terminators, they did True Lies. Oh, right. So he wouldn't have hired Arnold for another big movie that wasn't part of that franchise. Yeah. But like everybody in that movie is in Terminator somewhere. Like Bill Paxton, Bill Paxton it, uh is the first guy Schwarzenegger kills. Yeah. When Schwarzenegger's naked, he goes, must be laundry day, nothing clean. <laughs> and Bill Paxton, who we sadly lost. To, it, uh, yeah, we lost a couple years ago. Yeah, to heart surgery. He, the heart surgery did not go well, and he didn't come out of the operating room. Um, but he was really close friends with Cameron. Lance Henriksen is one of the cops in Terminator because he, he didn't get the role, so he's in that. Um, Vasquez is in Terminator 2. She's like the, um, she's the stepmom that gets like knifed through the mouth and through the milk. No, she's the T-1000 knifes the dad. Who's Xander Berkeley. Finger. Yeah. Who's, uh, who becomes the, the jerkwad in Walking Dead that like lives in the Southern plantation and doesn't think anything's wrong with the, gar- with the Negan. Oh, I never got to the Negan. Yeah, it's not, it, it, it wouldn't reward you for staying on, but there's yeah. so... There are so many character actors that are all Cameron had like Cameron had a, a crew yeah. <laughs> that he used. Um, and aliens just, just fantastic. It's funny. Cause you and I were talking about Ian Holm right before and you were like, I don't, I don't remember Ian Holm being an alien. Cause Lance Henriksen is so strong that you're like, Lance Henriksen is the robot from the alien movies. Yeah. I thought he was in both of them. I guess I, nope. I haven't seen any of those movies in a while. So yeah, we watched them both this week. Um, that's one of the weird things about Alien is that there's so many rules to the xenomorph and then, but there's also like a bunch of other stuff that carries over. Like there is always a robot. 
Right. Like in Prometheus, it's Michael Fassbender. But there's, yeah. there's always now, a robot. Did Ben see Prometheus? Winona Ryder is the robot, isn't she, in Resurrection? I don't remember Resurrection. I don't know if I saw it. I think after, like, the second oh Alien God. movie, I maybe tried. They the drop movie. off immediately. Well, the yeah, third they, one. They're terrible after that. The third one is David Fincher, and, but it's a mess because the yeah. studio took control of it and changed the script while they were shooting. Um, and then that was supposed to be a trilogy, but then they did the fourth one, and Joss Whedon wrote the fourth one. Yeah, I remember hearing that Whedon did it. And I don't know if I ever saw the Joss Whedon one. I think I watched the David Fincher one, and then I never went back to Alien. Alien Resurrection is worth watching for free. It's like worth HBO or something. Mm-hmm. But it, it's real weird because the director of Amelie did it, and it, apparently he hated Whedon's script. So he cut it to pieces, and the story doesn't really make much sense. Uh, Ron Perlman's kind of awesome in it, though. Yeah, Ron Perlman's kind of awesome in it. Yeah, Ron Perlman got into a fight with Ted Cruz. Yeah, and he wants to, like, box him. I'm like, please, Ron Perlman will tear this nerd apart. Oh, Ted Cruz challenged him to a wrestling match with Jim Jordan, who's, like, another one of those dickwad congressmen. But Ted Cruz didn't even have the balls to challenge him to himself. He's just, like, literally, like, I'm I'm telling my dad. (laughs) And it's just, like, you're a fucking United States congressman or senator or whatever you are. That's politics now. That's what happened when they – being a dumbass and well, fighting yeah. with actors online. Cruz is one of those guys who, like Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell, attacked Trump and then found Trump was working. So that now they're trying to be Trump. Yeah, so they're trying to like pick stupid fights. But Ron Perlman's also in his sixties. <laughs> right. It's like, Ted Cruz has got like what fifteen years on this guy. Yeah, I think Ted Cruz is like my age. He's I, I, st- I still wouldn't pick a fight with Ron Perlman. Yo, I wouldn't even play fight with Ron Perlman. Well, I think Ron Perlman would take me out with one punch. Yeah. Um, oh, well, yeah. Speaking of which, the, the fact that we never got Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy 3 is a travesty. Yeah, it's weird that we never got that, and then, but then they decided to make that David Attenborough, or whatever, not Attenborough. Um, what's that guy's name from Stranger Things? Yeah, the guy from Stranger Things. Now, now you put now you put David Attenborough in my head. No, no, no it's not, not him. <laughs> No, it's not David. A very different Hellboy movie. <laughs> no, and it's going to drive me crazy. Now I have to reopen IMDb. But yeah, we might as well just keep it open. I, we talked about that a couple months ago. It was on HBO, so I watched you that tried movie. It, right? I watched the whole thing. It's oh. horrible. Yeah. It's bad in every way. It's not just disappointing that it's not Guillermo del Toro. It's a bad movie. Like, if this movie was the original Hellboy movie, we wouldn't be talking about Hellboy. David yeah. Harbor. Harbor, that's the one. How do you get Attenborough from Harbor? I just, David and the famous last name came to me. <laughs> the, the work we do on this show. Well, yeah, you do. <laughs> well, now I have my phone. Yeah. We used to go, this is what I think it is, and then put the podcast out. Right. A lot of guesswork on this show, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fact that we have Zoom means it keeps going. Yeah, I mean, thank God we'd be well. We'd all be on Skype otherwise. Yeah. Speaking of which, I don't even know how long we've done. Is this an episode? <laughs> no, not yet. I don't know. I thought they the Zoom usually tells you how long you've been doing it for. Uh, when you sign off, it does. Oh, well, just, we started at like two fifteen or right now twenty or something. Yeah, but since we're doing Zoom, we haven't done greatest thing in the world in a long, long time. Oh, that's and great because I have one. I have one too. Uh, and since we're in the post-Zoom world, I'm mm-hmm. not going to chop this up and edit it and <laughs> put my voiceover in for it. Oh, I like that voiceover. But okay, fair enough. 
me pitch shift. That's what it is. Yeah, it works. Um, so what's your greatest thing in the world this week? Uh, so I took a little break from Star Trek. Um, my buddy Craig uh, recommended a show to me on Netflix that I never heard of. And it's called Dark. And it's like a German show. It came out a couple years ago, like right around. Is I it think- a sitcom? No, it's not. Because I feel like a German sitcom. This is the show called Doc. <laughs> yeah, not quite. Um, it's it's kind of like, um, the only thing it's similar to is like a Stranger Things type show, but it's more, it's less interdimensional, more time travel. And it's a lot darker than Stranger Things. But it's basically, it all takes place in this like small German town and uh, outside of like a nuclear power plant. And uh, there's some time travel shenanigans going on. Uh, it's the, the, you know, it's all filmed in Germany. It's a German cast and they speak German in the show, but I put on the dubbing, which I'm sure people are going to be like, well, just fucking watch it in German and read subtitles. But like, I ain't got time for that. <laughs> so, well, how is the, how's the dub cast? Oh, it's fine. I mean, it's all not right. like great. And it's, you know, it's not, the, it's not like Mexican Homer Simpson. No, it's not Mexican Homer Simpson, but it's um, it might it might be the greatest time travel uh, story I've ever seen. Uh, it's incredible. I think there's ten or twelve episodes. I haven't finished it yet. I'm probably on episode like eight, and I guess the second season is already out, and the third season starts in like two weeks. So it'd be a great time to get into it. Uh, but it's called Dark. Um, and it's just, uh, it's like one of those shows where you're watching it and then like the episode ends and it's like one in the morning and you're just like, fuck it. I've got to see this next episode. Yeah. I did that with space Ghost coast to coast. (laughs) We've seen it already. I didn't see every episode and HBO max had them all. But what, what, what happens at the end of like an episode of space Ghost that you're like, Oh my God, I got to watch this next one. Um, something that makes no sense. And then you just go. All right, I'll keep this going. And then we're doing, yes. all, then we're doing all of the Brack show. Yeah. I've gotten so into, this is not even my greatest thing in the world, but I've gotten so into Space Ghost Coast to Coast that I've been fighting people on eBay to get a Mezco 112 Space Ghost. And he's expensive now. Yeah, I do want to look that up because you mentioned that last time we talked. Oh, he and, looks uh, great. He comes with blip. Yeah. And the power bands. Uh, uh, also, I found out you can watch the original Alex Toth Space Ghost on YouTube. Every one of those shorts is on YouTube. Yeah, they actually have a lot of content on there that they've kind of put up that's this stuff sold. Nobody cares about it. But those um all those old Alex Toth cartoons are like they're like perfect background. Yeah, they re- they Just, are like, and- sound effects, the music, they're formulaic. It's like they're it's like uh it's like a nerd poetry or something. Well Alex Alex Toth was like the sixties Bruce Tim because he was able to do yeah. comics in a streamlined animated form. And he was so good that he just created characters like right. like Space Ghost and the Herculoids. And um, people forget, and I think, I think because Warner Brothers wants us to, people forget how good his Fantastic Four series was. And yeah. A lot of era produced a Fantastic Four series in the 60s. That's Alex Toth designs and it's just adaptations of Stanley Jack Kirby comics. And it's the same, um, the same vein of cartoons where it's just like, the soundtrack, the sound effects, the voice talent, it's like, it's just, it's like pitch perfect. It's yeah, like, it's all it's crazy jazz score. I yeah, posted, it's, it's awesome. I posted on the um, Facebook page about a week or two ago, somebody made a YouTube clip of 
the of the Diablo episode, but instead of the animation, they showed all Kirby panels from that issue. Oh, that's so cool. It was like a read-along, but it was the soundtrack of that original episode. Yeah, that's really oh, awesome. It works so well. But I love the Space Ghost design, and I found out Alex Toth didn't even like it. He felt like he just kind of hacked it out really quickly. Yeah, that's wild. Bruce, uh, Bruce Tim said in a documentary about Batman the Animated Series was he didn't even realize how much of an influence Space Ghost was on his Batman. And it's oh, like, really? it's so obvious. He was like, he goes, he said that Alex Toth was just so much in his DNA that yeah. he was not thinking about Space Ghost when he designed Batman. But when he looked back, he was like, it's basically Space Ghost's head at the very least. Oh yeah, it's, it's wild. Yeah, those, um, I've got an art book they put out a couple years ago uh, for Alex Toth and it has all his like character designs in the background. Oh, wow. and- all this stuff and you just kind of see this like volume of work it was just like unbelievable what this guy did and yeah and uh, he's, he's another, all like an animation genius he's all a super friends like what yeah. what my generation really and yours thinks about is the dc universe is yeah i mean to this Cuff. day i mean the first exposure i had to superheroes i thought of like batman and superman even pre-marvel stuff was the was super friends they run that show constantly On so Cuff when i think Netflix. of the justice league was yeah, Boomerang or whatever. Yeah. That's, that's hilarious because I, um, I remember when that happened, I was so mad because they said Super Friends, they had the Hanna-Barbera uh, library, but for some reason, the first couple of years, they did not air Super Friends. Maybe they had to like work out a deal with DC, but they said it was the most requested show. And I remember being so mad that they put it on then because I was in my first apartment and couldn't afford cable. Mm. So there's the age difference. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. But they're great. Oh, by the way, if you ever want the most entertaining thing in the world, pick up the Challenge of the Super Friends DVD and oh, listen. Mark listen. Wade and Jeff Johns commentary. It's hilarious. It's awesome. Just hearing those two guys talk about how much they love idiots like Captain Cold, <laughs> you know, yeah, well, Anna. There are two great. There are two moments. Mark Wade was a stand-up for a little while. Um, oh really? So I didn't know that. I talked to him about it. I, he actually didn't do it as long as I did. Yeah, <laughs> talked a bit about it. So he's really funny on the cuff. But I remember there are two moments they're watching it. Was there's one where they were showing it's the Origin of Legion of Doom, and um, it's like they uh, they said, "Where will we put our headquarters?" Let's put it in the desert. No, we'll put it in the Arctic. And Lex Luthor goes, "I'll compromise. We'll put it in the swamp." And then they just show Solomon Grundy and Wade goes, well, Grundy's happy. Yeah, yeah. It's a great... And and then there was another episode where they have a ray that turns everyone into Cheetah and the Riddler. Oh, no, it's Cheetah and Bizarro. Bizarro, thank you. And then they they start running around doing crimes. And and Mark Wade goes, wait, so everybody's robbing everything? Right. And they're even just like, whose plan was this? It's just a redistribution of wealth. Yeah. It's really, really, really funny. Yeah, uh, those Super Friends, same thing. It kind of all those like old timey classic cartoons are. They're you know, and that's true of even like the Fleischer Superman's before them is like these like uh, perfect little like soundtracks that you kind of never get tired of listening to. Is this like the the shoo shoo shoo? You know, and all this you know, yeah, all that nonsense. It's like a trouble alert's coming in. It's like. Yeah. I remember Mark Wade and Jeff Johns are riffing on like 
all the different super friends, you know, when they're showing them and they're like, look at Green Lantern. He's got such a sweet tan. <laughs> he's like the only guy who wasn't just like a white guy. He had like a pretty yeah. good tan. Well, he's from Southern California. That's he's right. He's a California guy. You could also see his eyes under the mask. I was not a big fan of that. Yeah. All right. I totally hijacked your greatest thing in the world. Was there anything more you wanted to talk about? A very dark German show. No, other than <laughs> you should check it out. It's great. Uh, great science fiction if you're looking for uh, some escapism. But it is a very dark show. <laughs> well, then this will be the third greatest thing in the world because I think Alex Toff, Hanna-Barbera uh, is both of us. Um, but I've been watching Disney Gallery, which on Disney oh. Plus is the making of The Mandalorian. Yeah. And not only is it really well done, and a lot of it is John Favreau speaking, who, you know, John Favreau is not only a great director, but uh, I'm learning how hands-on he was with The Mandalorian. It's really his show. Like, I, I didn't know if this was something he signed off on because he didn't direct any of the episodes. He wrote a few. Uh, but he's very hands-on. He's also a great interviewer. He used to have this show on, I think, on IFC called Dinner for Five. Um, he's a great actor, so he's a really good host, and he gets the most out of the interviews. But it's also teaching me how amazing the show was. There, there's techniques and things to that show that I was stunned. They almost never shot on location. Like almost everything was. It wasn't even green screen. They developed this um, this technique called the volume, and what it was was. They shot most of the show in a video wall. And I was telling my wife about this, and she's like, oh, you mean like uh, the Evil Dead musical? Because we went to see the Evil Dead musical and ran into Nick Bate, who's been on the show, in the audience. And instead of having a set, they just had video walls and a video floor. And when they wanted to change the set, they would just bring up different images. Right. That That was a way they could do the show cheap on tour. When I had originally seen it in New York, they had they built the full cabin and they were spraying blood on people. Um, but they shot the Mandalorian that way, where it was like it was like a 180 curved wall and a ceiling that would be every single location. So whether it was a bar or the sh- or the inside of the ship or the desert, they would just bring that up and then things they would interact with, they would build. So they built like the bar on Tatooine, right? Um, but and then they would just recompose it for every shot because immediately I would think, well, what about like when they're walking down a hallway? And then I watch some of the episodes again. And I'm like, oh no, these are quick shots. So they take a few steps, cut, change the background so it's all closer and then shoot again. Oh, wow. And it's this way. And I believe it's all in camera because um, that's what I was trying to figure out. I was like, well, is the image on the walls sharp enough? where they use that image or do they composite it? And that's like the guide track. I'm pretty sure they used it. Yeah. And they talk about how they were able to do that show on a television budget. Cause it does not look like a television budget. No, that was one of the things I was kind of surprised with. It's like, I thought there was like one or two instances where I thought maybe the effects were like a bit off. Yeah. Um, and then I watched it a second time through and I'm like, nah, this is like, like movie quality stuff. Yeah. And that's one of the things. And the latest episode, uh, that's like episode three or four. And the latest episode uh, is all about Easter eggs to the Star Wars trilogy. And it's John Favreau and Dave Filoni just geeking out. That's cool. Dave Filoni's a big part of this. And this is his first job ever directing live action because Dave Filoni created Clone Wars and Rebels and all the CG shows, which 
I, I have to be honest, I was never that big a fan of. I always thought they were a little stiff and the stories were not that compelling. And part of it was because Jenny Tartakovsky had done shorts uh, when the when the prequel movies were in theaters, yeah, he called the Clone Wars, and it was Samurai Jack in the Star Wars universe, and it's it's hard to beat that, right? Um, but I know a lot of people love the Clone Wars stuff. Yeah, it's like one of those things that I've you know heard about from a lot of big Star Wars fans. It's like they're they're like obsessed with that show. It's like some of the best stuff they've ever seen. I 